So we, we started into the book of Acts last week, and uh, we're not going to make it much further in the book of Acts this week, as you can see from the scripture reading from this morning. And that's not because there's not some things in this book that I really want to get to. I've actually been uh, daydreaming about the upcoming messages from the book of Acts. That's what uh, is coming into my mind most frequently is excitement about, oh man, I can't wait for us as a church to get to talk about some of these things that are going to happen in this book that God tells us that we get to remember and, and see what God's Spirit's going to do in our own church as he's showing what, what he did in the first early church, you know? And uh, I've been daydreaming about those, but before we cover some more ground in the book of Acts, I just think that at the very beginning of this book, there's something, there's something in it that needs to cover more ground in us. That's my sense this week. Is that before we cover more ground in the books, book of Acts, there's something in it that needs to cover a little bit more ground in us. So that's why we're not moving uh, any further down the road in the book of Acts. And the reason why I want it to cover more ground in us is because in us, there is this deep, fundamental need that you have. So I'm, I'm talking to you as a person, even though I don't, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I don't know your name or uh, you don't know mine and we don't really know each other. So you're like, How, you don't know me, dude. But there's something I know about you, which is that you have this in you, this, some deep fundamental needs. And so I just would ask you as a, as a person, um, even as a, as a young, if, if you're 10 years old or six years old or however old you are, 60 years old, anywhere in between, what do you think that it is that drives you? Like, what is it at the end of the day that's the core, deep down in your bones, you need this, you long for this? You might be like, it's a little early in the morning for that, man. We, got, we just made it here. You know? <laughs> Congratulate, you did. You made it here. You're here. So in this moment, pause. What, is, what drives you? What do you need? What do you want most in this life? And, and I'll, I'll tell you, there's really probably two answers. If you, as you spend time thinking about that, and maybe, maybe later on today you'll actually grapple with that a little bit. Um, but if you, as you do, there's going to be probably one of two categories that you'll land in. Okay? The first one is that what really would drive you is a sense of belonging. And so a, a, a relationship, a connection, a belonging to someone or a group of someones. That's something that's going to drive you. You long for that place that you can belong, a community, a people. And this is well documented in scientific studies. This is not just kind of like my idea, okay? Uh, and, and you can anecdotally affirm this. This is a human condition that we have, is this longing for community. And so the one Stanford study shows that people's IQ drops, IQ points literally drop whenever they lose this sense of belonging, whenever you feel lonely, isolated, you act, your intelligence decreases and your susceptibility to illness increases. So you're less likely to be intelligent and more likely to be sick whenever you lack a sense of belonging, which is pretty crazy, right? It's physiological. It's like hardwired deep down in you, this longing for belonging. The first place I ever heard this was from a guy named Ben Stewart, who's a pastor that I really love, and, and I learned this first from him, and he points out that this actually motivates some of the most foolish things that have been done in the history of mankind and some of the most heroic things that have ever been done in the history of mankind is a longing for a deep connection relationship with others. And there's a story after story that we could tell about that, and I'm, 
I'm really committed to getting you guys out of here on time, so we're not going to tell any of those. But before you think that this is just kind of like a Christian thing, right? It's not. Uh, this is not a Christian thing. You can go back to the, the TV show Cheers. Who in this room watched the, movie, the TV show Cheers? It's pretty good. All right. Uh, and just all things considered, age of our church and all that, we, we want a lot of former Cheers watchers, okay, in our, in, amongst us. Um, and so the, 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 the lyrics to the theme song, do you remember how they went? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. It's a longing for belonging, isn't it? There's a Yale graduate. She wrote this in a reflection. She, she said, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say that that's what I want in life. The opposite of loneliness. Now, some of you, you like, you're like, that's me, man. You nailed it. That's like right at the heart of my heart. Uh, and uh, others of you, you're like, I get that. But you are most of all driven by a mission, not by belonging someplace, but by accomplishing something. I want to run that race, achieve that goal, finish that project. That's what makes me tick. You know, some of you are more wired that way. And there's actually studies that reveal this deep thread that runs throughout the human heart as well. It's a deep human condition. You're twice as likely to die, get this, twice as likely to die in a given time set if you lack a sense of purpose. So everybody's like, I better get a purpose, right? You know, like, that's a lot. I mean, two time, twice as likely is significant, I, I think, you know. Your odds are not as good. And, and this shows up in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A guy, Abraham Maslow, he, he um, mapped this, uh, what, what, what motivates humans. And at the top of that hierarchy is a sense that you are doing what you made to do. You're doing what you were made to do. Like, that's what it's about. That's your need as a human being. It's not a bonus. It's actually a need. And so as much as uh, you, you may not realize it, you have these needs and they're not there on accident. And so I'm trying to help you see that those are not there on accident and, and, and also matters which ones you choose. It's not uh, as much as the world wants to push a choose your own truth adventure, right? Which is a lot of what is happening in society. It's like, hey, just choose your own truth and see where the road goes. Uh, as much as they want to put, the world wants to push that, there's no one, not, not one amongst us would say that finding your belonging amongst a drug cartel is on the same, in the same space as finding your belonging among doctors without borders, right? I hope, okay? Now, both groups of people, you can have a real deep sense of belonging with, right? You can have a real deep sense of identity with both of those groups. They're actually both moving drugs across uh, you know, national boundaries, interestingly enough, right? But for entirely different purposes. But we wouldn't say those are equal. Oh, it's just as good. Just pick whichever one you like. That's not, that's, none of us would say that's true, I hope. So your community and your cause, the ones which you ultimately find yourself in, the way that you meet those needs, your community and your, co your cause, it's not choose your own truth. Some are better than others. Some are better than others. Oh, even if they're not morally compromised, like you're like, okay, fine, Doctors Without Borders and you know, drug cartel, you made it really extreme. Even if they're not morally compromised, how would you guys all feel this morning 
if I had worn a letter jacket in here, and up here on the stage, how would you feel? You would feel weird, okay, if you know what a letter jacket is, right? Because you would say to yourself, high school is over. <laughs> let it go, bro. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Those patches, just let them go. <laughs> let it you know, or lack of patches in my case, you know, um, high school ended. And so even if it's not a morally compromised sense of belonging, uh, when, you're, when what you are gathered around ceases to exist, the sense of community will fade. We know this from our own experience. You're, maybe you work, I see a friend here, she works for a hospital. Maybe it's like, hey, man, I really identify, I find a sense of belonging with this hospital. Your job changes, your sense of community will fade. While I was working on this message, I had noise-canceling headphones on, and my wife was watching this show where these gals organized people's closets. Now, it's, I think it's probably some kind of a Netflix phenomenon, so maybe you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but I don't really track with a lot of what's happening. It was what I, you know, I'd look up, and it's in front of me, and I was like, man, what is happening on this show? You know? and, and, uh, and I just kind of keep typing away, but I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off it for a second because what I realized was happening in one situation was they were actually turning somebody's closet into more or less a trophy room, because they do it for celebrities, so it's like, oh, this is neat, you know, Reese Witherspoon's closet. What they're doing is turning it into a trophy room, a closet into a trophy room. And I think that's what we can end up doing with our lives. We're chasing all these trophies that we're just going to stick in the closet. It's like, what a weird place to hang your hat, your identity, your cause in life, something you're going to put in a closet, because we long for a cause that, that, that matters. One that matters, not just for this year or for this decade or whatever. We're hardwired to belong and we're hardwired to find a cause. We want a community, we want a cause, we want a people, we want a purpose. Um, and when we don't have them, we suffer, right? That's why people stay in really broken relationships is because they're, they're, it's called codependency. They're afraid that when they're not in that relationship, they don't have any place to belong. Even if this person is abusive, they'll stay in the relationship. We, we will do almost anything to have these things because they're needs. But some are better than others. There is a people and there is a purpose that's not just better, but that's best. That's why I'm even willing to go back through this passage this morning with you is because there's one that's best. There's one that's best for you. And I want God's word to meet you deep down in this need. You're going you're gonna to meet this need somehow, and I want God's word to be the place that you find this, that communicates where you can find this in a way that is unlike any other. Okay? You want a community and you want a cause? In Jesus, listen to me on this. It's a message for today. If you just had this, if you're just going to turn something over in your mind, in Jesus, you are undeniably connected to the ultimate community with the ultimate cause. In Jesus, you are undeniably connected to those things. The ultimate community, the ultimate cause. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 again. Okay, we're, I promise we'll move on from here this week, even, even if it doesn't sink into you, we're just going to move on from here after this week, but we're still in Acts chapter 1. And Acts, uh, chapter, uh, Acts is a second volume of a two-volume set written by Luke, who's a doctor. And uh, Luke, what he does is he maps the spread of the gospel from a few insignificant people in Jerusalem to the edges of the known world. That's what happens over these 28 chapters. And uh, it tracks the development of God's church, his called out people, okay? Not an institution, but a community of called out people that are living with a great purpose. 
Okay, so Acts, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3. We're just going to read back through it, and there's something I'm going to pull out for us in these first three verses, okay? But read it with me. Put your eyes on it, even whether in your Bible or on the screen. And now kids, we also have, if you're an older kid, we have those sermon note pages, okay? And so you can key in on those. If you have those to write in adults, maybe whatever it takes to sink this down deep in your soul. If you want to get out some paper and write on these sermon notes, they're kind of of cool. So feel free. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Read it with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We'll stop, we'll stop right there. And so what the first thing is that I want you to see, and I'm going to just, we're, we're not covering a ton of ground intellectually or anything today. We're just, there's a couple of things, okay? And the first thing is that Jesus wants to, what Jesus wanted to talk about after the resurrection. So Jesus comes back to life from the dead. And what does he want to talk about? He wants to talk about the resurrection. After the resurrection, he wants to talk about the kingdom of God. You see that? He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So he's like, hey guys, I'm really alive. Look, I'm eating fish. I'm alive. That's the hole that was in my hand from a nail, okay? This is the hole that was in my side from a spear, okay? I still, the same, same body. It's a resurrection body, but it's not, it's not just some like guy who's claiming to be Jesus. This is really me. I'm back from the dead. And what I want to talk about with you is the kingdom of God. Do you see that in the text? So they have 40 days with him after the resurrection, okay? That's, they have this amount of time with him, and it's not very long. 40 days would fly by, okay, if you're just trying to silk all in all you can, and they're listening to what he has to say. A lot of times, maybe prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples were like, it seemed like really confused. They were just like, hey, I'm trying to keep up here. I used to live in Galilee. Now we're like wandering all over the place, and he keeps telling us he's going to die, whatever. You know, and then these people, we've got to feed all these people. And so they're kind of confused, but now they're kind of locked in. Okay, you see that? Locked in on what Jesus has to say. What he was not talking about, listen to this, what he was not talking about is how the gospel helps them have a better life. Do you see that? That's not, what it, that's not what he was spending his 40 days talking to them about. Hey, guys, I just want you to know here, I'm back from the dead, and here's how you can really kind of capitalize on this for you. That's not what he was talking about. He was not inviting them into what has been called moral therapeutic deism. It's not, here you go, guys, now chase your dreams. Moral therapeutic deism is what sociologists in 2005 described as the predominant faith of adolescents in our country. 2005, study done, a lot of, lot of work done around this. How are we going to capture what is the predominant faith of young adults or adolescents in our country? What is it? You, you, you could say, describe that as moral therapeutic deism. And now, now, that consists of belief like, beliefs like this. Let, let, let me see if any of these sound familiar. They'll be on the screen. One, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Seems good enough, right? Second, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. See also, you're going to die and go to hell. Let's solve that problem. 
Five, good people go to heaven when they die. This is, these are the kind of mantras of moral therapeutic deism. Now, you might be thinking, these sound super familiar because it may very well be the faith that you grew up in. For mo- this is one quote from the book. For most teens, nobody has to do anything in life, including anything to do with religion. Whatever is just fine if that's what a person wants. Now, this struck home with me because I graduated from high school in 2005. So some of you are like, you're so young. Some of you are like, you're so old and whatever. That's how old I am. Um, and, uh, but I graduated from high school in 2005. You know what our class motto was? They didn't read this book. I can promise you that. It was published in 2005. Our class motto, class of 2005, you know what it was? It's whatever. I look back on it, I like cringe. But I also look at this quote and I think, these guys did a good job. They targeted the exact heart of this generation. Now here's the deal. This generation is now raising kids. This generation is now coming into leadership. This generation is now going to be in influencing our society. What they're influencing them with is moral therapeutic deism. And unfortunately for my class of 2005, it is anything but whatever, okay? Jesus says something other than it is whatever you want. What Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God. He's talking about how the gospel that he brought brings us into a better community. Do you see that? He's not talking about you and how you can have an awesome life and get all the things you want and then die and be separated from God forever. He's saying, I want to invite you into a better community. I want to invite you into a place where, into a sense of belonging. And I want to tell you what we are about. I want to tell you about what we, God and his people, are about. His kingdom. What the kingdom is about. That's what he's talking about. You see that? Jesus is talking about a better belonging. And this is not a new thing for him. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, right when he started his ministry, it's not like he died and came back from the dead and all of a sudden was like, you know what, let's kind of pick out a theme here. How about kingdom? You know? No, that's not how it works. He said, this is, this is the beginning of his ministry, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then in Luke 17, he says, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 126 times throughout the gospel, the kingdom shows up. It's not a new thing for him to talk about. It's what he has been talking about. So not surprisingly, we're going to move forward in the text. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1 says this. You can read it. So when they had come together... They, the the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, their thoughts are on the kingdom. Why? Jesus is talking about the kingdom. So they're thinking about it. That's what he's been talking about. And this goes without saying, but I want you to at least, and we're going to push pause and think about this, just so you get this, we get this square with one another, okay? The kingdom that he is talking about It's better than this world has to offer, anything this world has to offer. The kingdom is better. The glimpses we get of this kingdom, you can see it, okay? Think about the glimpses of the kingdom we get where Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is among you. This is what this kingdom starts to look like. Look at, see what it is. Physical redemption, okay? Physical brokenness healed. Blind people 
where the king is at, the king is bringing the kingdom with him. He says, hey, blind person, no, 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 we're not going to have that in the kingdom. You are healed. However, he, sometimes he just says it. Sometimes he puts mud on their eyes and washes it off. Whatever he wants to do is going to happen. But he makes blind people see. He makes deaf people hear. He makes people who haven't been able to walk their whole life. They're in their 40s, and they haven't ever taken a step. He says, you're going to stand up today. That's what the kingdom is like. And you, do, you know, do you know what follows after that? A lot of joy. You know that guy when he stood up from being lame? You know what he was not like? Man, thanks, I guess. Uh, great day, you know, but we'll just, you know, tomorrow's a new day, new problems. <laughs> no, they were not, they were joyful. They were overcome with joy because the kingdom of God had come into their life and started healing their physical brokenness. It's not just, it's not just physical or physiological brokenness. It's so, social redemption. Captives are getting free, okay, getting set free. These people, there's people who have been totally isolated from society. They have been stuck off because of their addiction, because of demon possession, because whatever it is, they're cutting themselves. They're crying out. They're being tormented, not because they are lame or blind, but because their heart and their insides are so twisted up that they can't see straight. And Jesus says, you're going to be better now. And you know what happens to those people? They're in their right mind. And joy follows that. The glimpse we get, not just of the kingdom that has come, but the kingdom that will come, it's an eternal city that's fueled by the very glory of God. Tearless, painless, lossless place. There's joy there too. So in terms of our longing for belonging, I just want you to see this. Drill this down into your heart and may God take this and really make it real to you. But when you, the thing you need to lock into, in terms of our longing for belonging, there is no community like the kingdom. There is no community that compares to the kingdom of God. There is no community that compares to Jesus' community. And the disciples, they get this in part. When you encounter the true king, you want more of that kingdom. So they're saying, is it now? We need to do this now. They also get that Jesus is the one who's going to bring the kingdom to the earth. Are you going to do this now, Jesus? They don't get the scale, okay? They don't get the scale. It's revealed in their question, are you going to restore at this time the kingdom of Israel? They think it's a national thing. They don't get the scale, but they get that Jesus is going to do it and that it's going to be better, Okay? And so uh, look at this. You know what Jesus does not do? He doesn't shoot down their interest in the kingdom to coming, coming to earth. He doesn't say, hey, stop thinking about that, guys. Quit being distracted by that, guys. You're thinking about the wrong thing, guys. He doesn't say that. Look what he says. Acts 1-7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He continues in verse 8. So you see that? It's not, he, he doesn't shoot down their interest in the kingdom. Continues in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He calls their attention away from when it is coming to what they are called to do until it comes. Do you see that? He calls their attention away. Don't worry about when. Worry about what you're going to be doing until then. And so I, would you hear God speaking to you in this? Is God saying something to you in this? Quit worrying about, hey, when are all these problems going to go? When is, when is my life going to get fixed? Whenever, when is it all going to be better? It's going to come. The kingdom's coming. It's fixed by his authority. 
Jesus says, don't worry about that as much as what you are doing until that comes. What Jesus wants his disciples to focus on is their role in advancing the kingdom. So look at it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we're going to move through this quickly, but you can see that you have a mission, right? And so he's talking particularly to these disciples and these apostles who are going to be sent out, but then you can also see over the course of the book of Acts that this is also just now true for all of Jesus' disciples, that you have a mission. And the scale of that mission is global. It's global. There are groups like this, just so you know, there's groups like this, little pockets of people, little communities of people all over the world. I can tell you the names of a hundred faithful people who are gathering today preaching the gospel of Jesus from countries from like Japan to South Africa to Pakistan, uh, into the UK, down in Brazil. And those are just places that I know. And so Jesus says Jerusalem, and they're like, okay, that's like where we live or where we live now. Judea, okay, that's kind of like our immediate area. And then he says Samaria. And I think it's kind of like a record scratch moment. Samaria. I thought God was restoring the kingdom to Israel. Those are our, like, cultural enemies. Those are the people who are not like us. Those are the people that we don't get along with. Those are the people on the other side of the dividing line. And Jesus says, yeah, go to them. And while we're at it, go to the rest of the earth. And so he gives them this crazy thing. Humans tend to just trust people that are different from them themselves. Like humans tend to just trust people that are different from themselves. So you might recognize that in yourself, or you might have been somebody that is different, okay, and received that kind of distrust. Okay, that is a human thing, but Jesus tells his disciples, hey, in the kingdom, you're going to move towards those people that are different from you. Move towards them. I want you to go to them. And they needed power to do that. There's some power needed for that. So Jesus says, your power's coming. We'll talk more about that next week. But even just logistically, to get the news to the edge of the earth, okay, like there's some real power needed. But, but more than that, look at the scope. So that's the scale of the mission. Now the scope of the mission is actually very narrow. So I mean the scale is how, how great or grand is this? What scope is, what is, it, what is that mission particularly? It's very, very narrow. Not move towards these people and revolutionize their societies. He didn't say that, even though that would happen. Where Christian missionaries have gone in this world, you can see a wake of goodness coming about in their societies. If you want to talk about that, there's an amazing article written by an atheist who would say, for the love, please, more Christian missionaries go to XYZ country. Not for faith reasons, for societal reasons, okay? Um, but so it, he didn't tell them to do that. He didn't tell it, say, revolutionize societies. Uh, it, so it might seem like less power is needed to accomplish this, but what we need is actually the Holy Spirit to come and bear witness alongside these witnesses to, to take the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and apply it to somebody's soul, which is nothing different than dead people coming to life. That's the way the scripture, Ephesians talks about that. You were dead, now you're alive. We need the Holy Spirit power for that. But why this mission? Why not take the principles of the kingdom? So maybe you could distill down the kingdom into these different principles and take those out to the world, right? Because that's, that's, that's an idea. But here's the reason why. And you got to get this. This is important. For your cause, the ultimate community is the kingdom. Now, what is the ultimate cause? And that's what we're talking about. Because it's, and it, the ultimate cause is not taking kingdom principles and telling people about those. 
That's not what it is. Because kingdom principles don't get you into the kingdom. Principles are not what gets you into the kingdom. In fact, something is interesting that happens here. For all of the 126 references to the kingdom in four gospels, you know how many references to the kingdom there are in the rest of the New Testament? 34. The rest of the New Testament, they only say it 34 times. And I think there's a reason why. It's because being, being in the kingdom at this point, there's a, a shift that happens right here. It's not about geography. He just says it's going to go to the ends of the earth. It's about whose rule you are under. The focus shifts, not just to tell the world we found a place to gather, but tell the world who you're gathered around. It's not about, hey, let's, let's do kingdom. Let's talk about the king. And so Jesus sends them to be his witnesses. That's what it means to bear witness about who Jesus is and what he did on their behalf, okay? So he's gonna go, they're going to go testify to the world. Here's what his life, death, and resurrection is. Here's what happened. And um, Luke 24, we'll talk about that in just a second, but Luke 24 points to that. Hey, his, this is what happened. He opens their minds to the scriptures to see, hey, you needed somebody to suffer on your, on your behalf and die for the forgiveness of your sins. Go tell the world. And so I, I was thinking about this this week because it was the 19th anniversary of 9-11. September 11th happened 19 years ago. And um, I, don't know, I don't know where you were. You probably remember where you were at whenever you heard about 9-11, the events of 9-11 unfolding. I was in um, a geography class, actually, Miss Williamson's geography class when I heard about that. There was another guy who was 22 years old, so he's a few years older than me, but he was actually starting uh, his uh, first day of work, his second day of work in the World Trade Center. He was 22 years old. His name was Nathan Harness. And uh, two days into work, he moved to, I think he moved to New York on like a Sunday and started work on a Monday. 9-11 happened on a Tuesday, I think. And he was in the second tower on the 61st floor, and he saw papers burning, falling, burning papers falling down. But the way the buildings were positioned, he couldn't actually see up to see what was happening up there. Nobody could tell. The windows were too small, and the angle was wrong. He couldn't see. All he knew was something was up there was on fire. And so he gets this sense, something, something's wrong here. Something is not right um, and people are actually telling, over the intercom, telling people, hey, stay at your desks. Everything's fine. Just stay at your desks. And, and they have this rule in their company, but basically if you did three wrong things, you'll just get fired because they're like, enough people want this job, whatever. And so he actually says, you know what, I'm just going to take the hit. I'm putting my stuff in my bag and I'm leaving because he has this sense something's wrong here, something's wrong. And he starts going downstairs and there's actually tons of people already in the stairwell. And so he's going down the stairs uh, and, and on the 44th floor, when he gets to the 44th floor, the second tower gets hit. And it shakes everything. It throws in everything into more mass confusion. Lights go out. People hit the floor. And smoke actually starts coming up the stairwell at this point. Okay? So he's heading down, down, down. And smoke starts coming up. And people are very confused about what they ought to be doing in this moment. He goes a little bit further. People start turning back. People are going back upstairs. But something in him, he says, I'm going to keep going forward. And around the corner, uh, 
this firefighter comes. And he looks him in the eye. And I, I struck, it struck him, and it, I mean, it struck me just by listening to him talk about it. He looks in his eyes and he tells him, there is a way out. Keep going. There's a way out. And so this is why I'm telling you about this is because in all reality, Jesus, he has commissioned firefighters, sent them into a burning world, up the stairwells of burning buildings of people's lives to tell them that there is a way out. It's not just a let's propagate, let's get this religion started and get as to many people as possible. If that's what you think we're doing here, if that's what you think Christianity is, then you should find a new hobby, a different thing to do. But what Jesus is talking about is getting people out of burning buildings. Buildings that are on fire now and will soon collapse on top of you. There's a way out, is what he says. And if you've never understood that, if you've never recognized that what Jesus is saying is that your sin, the things that you have done, your thoughts, attitudes, and actions of your heart have earned for you the wrath of God against you for eternity. The fire language is not mine, that's the scriptures. That's Jesus' words about where this road ends, and he says there's a way out. And it's through my suffering on your behalf that will now offer you forgiveness once and for all. There's a way out. Take that way out. And so now the focus of their mission, these disciples of Jesus and our mission, is to invite people to trust in Jesus. Their mission has become our mission. And it's to invite people to trust in Jesus. And what you're doing in that is nothing less than offering them new citizenship. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the rule of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's nothing less than a change of citizenship that has occurred when you invite people into the kingdom of God. In Jesus, we have a way out. It is his life, death, and resurrection that has become the gateway through which now you enter into a new kingdom where he is the king. And now that shapes the way that we as a church and you as an individual engage with the world around us. Right? This is an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom of God. We live as well as scriptures say, hey, as much as you can, live with peace amongst everybody. Honor the authorities around you as much as you can. In every way you can, live in peace with them. Because the barrier you're throwing up, the obstacle to entry, is not um, how uh, callous we are, how loud we are, any of those things. The barrier to entry is the willingness to declare bankruptcy and your need for forgiveness. We live as ambassadors of a lasting kingdom. There's not a more worthy cause than this. And so what I want to remind you, encourage you to do today is to remember your citizenship. Your citizenship, not your spouses, not your friends, not your parents. Your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Don't forget how you became part of this kingdom. 
It was because Jesus' blood purchased your redemption. That's how you get in. We are part of the ultimate community because the ultimate price was paid. In full. Finished. So whatever sin you came in here carrying with you this week, it's already been paid for. You don't pay God back for that. You can't afford it. You understand? The ultimate price has already been paid. It's going to be okay. There's a way out. Now, remember your citizenship and remember your cause, what you were made to do. What you were made to do is actually worship God and lead others into that worship through the gospel. You were made to worship God and you were remade in the image of Jesus to lead other people to worship God through the gospel. That's what you were called to do. Now, you might have all kinds of different vocations. You might be an artist. You might be a doctor. You might be a lawyer. You might be a construction worker. You might be an Uber driver. I don't care. You might be a a, a mom who's giving all of your attention right now to raising up and discipling kids. We We get it from moms a lot of times where it's like, yeah, you should be discipling your kids. All of us are commissioned as firefighters into burning buildings. Charles Spurgeon talks about this, the offensiveness of that. And uh, he says, hey, I'll ask for your forgiveness on the other side of eternity for all my offensiveness to tell you, telling you you're going to go to hell. Now, I wouldn't maybe enter into the conversation that way. But if you have to pick, if you're going to go no way or that way, I'd pick that way. That's what Spurgeon would say. Um, but we are, uh, we are witnesses. So remember your citizenship, remember your cause, because we're witnesses, not in the same way. These, these people, these particular 12 men, they were, they're trusted observers of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we now bear witness to. We aren't witnesses to, in the same way, but we are witnesses to the same thing, which is Jesus. And so what I challenge you to do this week, and listen to this challenge, we're 38 minutes in, we're going to wrap this thing in three minutes, okay? Bring Jesus up. You're not witnesses to how great you are. You're not witnesses to how much your life is together. Hey, look, coworker, yeah, I, my life is together, so maybe you should follow me, you know, follow Jesus. <laughs> that, that's actually Forty and Swift. Maybe you should follow me. No, you want to get people to follow Jesus, okay? So you're not trying to convince people how great you are. You're trying to convince people how great he is. Bring him up. Bring him up with your spouse, with your roommates, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. Bring him up. And I, now some of you are like, I don't think so, man. You're intimidated. Good. But not, not just for the social reasons. I've heard evangelism talked about as like two nervous people talking to each other, right? Not just for that but because you don't have the power to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And that's good news for you because you're not witnesses in the same way as the apostles, but you are witnesses with the same power as the apostles, the Holy Spirit. We know that's true because in Acts chapter 7, a guy named Stephen, who's not one of the 12 apostles, he's full of the Spirit. He starts bearing witness about Jesus. He gets killed for it, okay? And then later on, we get guys from Cyrene and Cyprus. They don't even tell us their name. They're nobodies. God's hand was upon them like he's going to be upon you. You're not empowered to tell people how great you are. You're empowered to tell them how great your king is. And this might be why you need the the power of spirit more than anything else, is to confess. Confess your failure and accept forgiveness. Believe in that forgiveness by the power of the Spirit. That's for you. 
And this is not meant to be a bigger burden on you. We're not trying to say, okay, you believe in Jesus. Now you've got a big job to do. It actually sets you free. Because now your life doesn't have to be about all these other things. You don't have to chase fleeting trophies. You can chase the one thing that matters. Be free. If you don't know where to start, start where the disciples started. You know where they started in the end of chapter 1? Jesus told them, here's your mission. And they said, oh, wow, let's go pray. And so we're going to take a second and pray right now. You, where we are right now in this gathering. Okay? Now, you might have kids running around or whatever. You might have all kinds of distractions. Take a minute and, and begin to pray for this, this thing. Let me commission you to pray for this. Your sense of security that you belong in God's kingdom by the blood of Jesus and your sense of purpose that comes from belonging in that kingdom. And anybody else that he begins to place on your mind and on your heart that you might be, by the power of the Spirit, commissioned to be an ambassador to this week. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Just with where you are, you can keep your heads bound, your eyes closed, or your eye on a kid, whatever you got to do. But the Father, just know this, he's fixed a time by his authority when he's going to bring the kingdom. Don't focus on when, focus on what you're doing until then. Your community, your belonging is in the eternal kingdom of God. Your cause is the advancement of that eternal kingdom. Insecurity in your community will make you ineffective in your cause. Our cause is advancing the kingdom. But you won't advance it unless you believe you belong to that kingdom, so believe that today. And so, Father, would you help us to believe just how loved we are by you? Father, would you help us to believe just how loved we are by you? Just how sure your rescue is in Jesus? The truth that there is a way out. Would you help us to hear those words and respond? Would you help us to believe just how perfectly we belong to your family and just how strong your spirit is who will empower us to do what you're calling us to do? Would you help us, God? It's in Jesus' name we pray.